You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Well, hey, we're going to jump in on an episode today that I, I kind of just think is relevant all the time. and But I've been really thinking about this one a lot lately. I'll talk about it later too, but I'm just going to tell you right now, a lot of the seeds for this started getting planted when I was uh, listening to Pastor Brett's prophecy update a couple months back. So go go back, check out the July 23 prophecy update this year, because a lot of the things that he talked about in that just, I don't know, I just started really thinking about these things and then just turning to the scriptures and and wanting to encourage you guys and encourage me about the days that we're living in, because it's a little nuts that's old news, right? I don't need to go into the fact that things are crazy, that the days we live in are just dark, okay? It doesn't feel like morning in America anymore. No, it doesn't. It feels dark, and it feels a little gloomy sometimes. But that's when we're looking all around us. The beauty is that if we're looking unto the Lord, we're not distorted, we're not tainted by any of that. And that is one of the things I want to encourage us in, but specifically in the vein of crazy to use this term, perhaps, persecution. Like, do you think about that we will be persecuted? What is it even? What do we mean when we say persecution? Because we can think about it in old school, right? We can think about in ancient times, we can think about in Bible days, people that died martyr deaths for Christ because they would not rescind their beliefs and they they died some really brutal deaths. You guys have probably heard me say either on the podcast or Devoted Live that I have a really strange habit sometimes of listening to Fox's Book of Martyrs when I go to bed. I don't know why I do that. I know that's probably super weird, but I, I feel like it gives a perspective that we sometimes lack on what real persecution looks like. And saints of old have been persecuted in in amazing ways, like horrible, cruel, torturous ways that our modern sensibilities kind of short circuit when we think of that level of persecution. So what do I mean about us actually being in persecution? Or are we or will we be? When you go to the dictionary definitions, and you kind of go, okay, let's define our terms, what does it mean? Our modern day dictionary, like the Cambridge Dictionary, It says that it's unfair or cruel treatment over a long period of time because of race, religion, or political beliefs, okay? So a little bit of a, I think a little bit of a watered down, and I don't mean watered down in a negative way, but I mean a less, well, less burning at the stake definition, okay? It says unfair or cruel treatment, but over a long period of time, and it's because of race, religion, or political beliefs. So you can see elements perhaps even in that even today, and perhaps the things that we are starting to see kind of either be here or pop up on the horizon of things that we might go, ooh, yep, we might be able to actually call that persecution. Now, when I reflect back on our old 1828 Noah Webster dictionary, because I always just like to get his perspective on on these things, he defined persecution as being infliction of pain, punishment, or death upon others unjustly. And then he goes on to say, particularly for adhering to a religious creed or mode of worship, either by way of penalty or for compelling them to renounce their principles. So I know a lot more words and it's not really in bullet points like we like these days. But infliction of pain, punishment or death, it says on others unjustly, 
for your religious creed or mode of worship. Now, that's kind of what we think of more so, because that one feels a little bit more like the definition of persecution being in the lane of martyrdom or someone that is actually dying for their beliefs. And I do believe that is absolutely, that's what we're talking about here. That is the inevitably, that's where this lands. That's where this ends up and what persecution can look like. But we can see some other elements of persecution in our own day. And and maybe I'll go into a little bit with our modern day definition of there being some unfair and cruel treatment over a long period of time. But even Webster, he said, infliction of a punishment, particularly for adhering for religious creed or mode of worship. So we can see these things. And so you can kind of look around at some of the stuff we're seeing and go, oh, man, are we starting to see some signs of persecution? Now, I, I want to clear out a little bit of if, if anybody is, has the temptation to get over dramatic here. And persecution is not someone not liking you. Okay, it's not somebody who if you make a comment on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever the things are, if you make something out there and somebody doesn't like it, And dare I say, even if they put a thumbs down or I mean, actually, you can't even do that on Facebook. But you know, if they say a negative thing towards you, or they just kind of just don't like you. That's not what we're talking about with persecution. Okay, that's, that's somebody who doesn't like you. Okay. (laughs) Or they didn't like what you say, but it's not necessarily persecution. Maybe some things start that way, depending on how serious things get. But we may be able to see some things of persecution, perhaps even in some of our laws that are coming up. California, this last year passed a law that actually says you can lose custody of your child for not affirming their gender identity. In California, if you decide that your boy who is a boy, I don't even like saying biological boy because I feel like that's sort of repetitive. If you're born a boy, you're a boy. If you're born a girl, you're a girl. But California says, nope. If you are not affirming of your child, and if you listen to the news clips of when the scow came out and was actually like describing this law, it's so concerning on so many levels. Like it basically just says you have to affirm everything about your child, which is unbelievable to me. I mean, where are the adults in the room here? If your two-year-old, I'm getting on a tangent here, but I'm just saying if your two-year-old throws herself down on the floor and is throwing like a giant tantrum, you're supposed to affirm that. No, no, no. That's called sin. And we actually, we actually address those things. We don't just affirm that. So that's basically what they're saying about all things. I mean, I'm going on an example here of a crazy tantrum and saying we would affirm that they're going to a much more extreme version and saying, you need to even affirm if your child believes a lie about who they were born to be. In so doing, if you do not affirm what that child wants, you can actually lose the custody of your child. So that's California. Yep, California does some nutty stuff, but other states are following suit. You know, we live here in Oregon, and I don't know the latest news for, it would not surprise me if Oregon already passed something like that, but it's probably coming. So in something like that, can you see a little bit of a layer of persecution even that could be brewing there? If you choose to believe as the Bible believes, and as God says who we are, and your government says, nope, that's not yet. There's a form of persecution in there, isn't there? We've seen stories where some people have lost their jobs for not going along with the pronoun thing. That's happening maybe a little bit. I think that's probably coming more. Some of it's like, we say this stuff and it's like, okay, that's just crazy. Okay, you're not going to lose your job because you don't do this, or you're not going to lose your child because of this. But I actually sometimes think that kind of dismissing these things as crazy talk, we can sort of chalk it off to that 
And I think it could actually hinder us from preparing for it. And that's really what I want to get into today. How do we prepare for persecution? If that's what's coming, or if that's where we are in some ways, what does the Bible say about how we should do this? Sometimes we talk about preppers, right? People talk about people at the end of days in the apocalypse and prepping and getting all their stuff and their generators and their canned goods. And I always kind of smile at this, guys, because I grew up on a ranch in Wyoming, big old ranch. My granddad was, he was a cool cowboy but he was a good old boy, let me tell you, because it was a big ranch. And I mean, we honestly, we just had barns and these things called quonsets, which some of you are like, I have no idea what it is. It's basically like a big building that you keep hay and junk in and stuff. But we had all these just outbuildings all over the thousands of acres out in Wyoming. And he would just keep stuff. I mean, stuff, guys. We're talking everything from like, you know, 16... 20 washing machines that are over in this area and guardrails over here and tire chains over here. But then then you'd have the other areas where he would kind of get into a little bit of the prepper thing. Now, I'm going to defend my granddad on this a bit because he truly, he was a man of God and he he loved people and he was so generous. So he was never like prepping and, and storing up all his stuff because he was going to like, you know, barricade us all into the ranch and not, you know, and just protect us and us for and no more, that kind of thing. That was not his, that was not his jam. In fact, he would take it upon himself to acquire these things. Sometimes he would buy this stuff because he was also an auctioneer. He would buy it because maybe it was something that wasn't selling at the auction. And so he would just market to himself and he would take the bill for it. And over time, guys, guess what? get a lot of washing machines that might work or a lot of generators or a lot of like, who knows what. So some of it times he acquired all this stuff because he was trying to help people out. But even the end goal of some of the things he was intentional about so-called prepping for and the canned goods and generators and firewood and, you know, all that kind of stuff, maybe the things we more traditionally think of as what things that people acquire when they're in that prepper mindset he really did it because he wanted to be able to make sure if anything happened, and this is back in the 80s, you know, you're still kind of on the tail end of the Cold War and things like that. You know, he wa- was doing that because he wanted to take care of his neighbors. He wanted to be able to make sure his family and anybody that was around, anybody that had need, that he'd be able to help. So I always admired his, I guess, style of being a little bit of a prepper, and maybe sometimes you could look at it as hoarding. (laughs) That was way before the crazy show hoarders, but it really was a lot of stuff, if I'm being real. When I think about that, like, okay, we don't necessarily need to get all the canned food and, and the generators like my granddad did and all that stuff. But where I think we should be preppers is actually in a very biblical way. And I do mean by the book. So when you look at Daniel, Daniel chapter one, verse eight. Keep in mind the story of Daniel. He's coming out of, he's being brought into captivity. He's coming from Jerusalem. He's a young man. And he does some, like he's kind of put in a hostile environment, of course. Daniel 1.8 has this little phrase that I love, and it, it reminds me of perhaps what our mindset should be when we think about this idea of how we can prepare for persecution. And in Daniel 1.8, it says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, there's a whole big story that goes with that. That's super cool. So if you've never read the story in Daniel 1, go read it because it's a great story. But the phrase I want to camp out on for just a sec is that he purposed in his heart. What does it look like to purpose in your heart? 
I think what we're seeing here is there was this preparation, there was this almost this practice, this rehearsing in his mind, what am I going to do if I'm put in a situation where I'm asked to do something that is against what I believe God would tell me to do? Because in this case, that that is what Daniel was faced with. He was going, he was being asked to eat a bunch of stuff. It was very non-kosher for a good little Jewish boy. And he was like, I, I'm not going to do that. But he thought about it beforehand, apparently. He purposed in his heart, like he he had already situated in his heart and got it ready that he was not going to defile himself. So that I think we can see into this that when he got into this situation, he knew what he was going to do before he even got there. And I think there's some wisdom. I think there's some things that we can pull out in there. Now, we're going to get into a couple more examples like that in a second. But with all this stuff with persecution, you know, if it's not here yet, it's coming, right? Like, this is a biblical truth. Second Timothy 3.12 says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay, there it is right there. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So perhaps we need to stop putting this off like that's, okay, that's just not going to happen to me ever, or it's not going to affect the people I know or my family. It says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what scripture tells us. But that's not a bad thing either. And I know that sounds weird for me to say that, but other truths in scripture that kind of, that help us to understand that idea of this not necessarily being bad. First Peter 3.17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It's kind of this strange, very biblical concept of suffering, of even what is good, that kind of goes against what we want to know as how our life should go. We feel that suffering, that persecution, anything that's negative and bad, that that is to be avoided at all costs, that that's something that we should run away from. But it's just a truth of life that we are going to face these issues. We're going to face things that are that are difficult and hard, and maybe even to this level called persecution. And if we're there, you have other scripture that's saying, but you know what? It's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God's will is for us. That's a really impacting verse that we could spend a lot of time just thinking about that and meditating on that. Do we desire God's will so much that even if it's even if it's suffering, even if it's the thing that doesn't feel good to us, do we still want it to that level? Because God says that, that that's better. It's better to suffer for doing good if that's God's will. It's just a perspective shift. And that's what, thankfully, Scripture does for us often. It, it just shifts our perspective rightly when we have a tendency to kind of go on our own, go on our own path a little bit. We want to define what's good. We want to stay away from persecution and ruffling feathers and all of those things. But if it's God's will that we, we have a little suffering there, that's really where we want to be. It's kind of a departure from what we'd like, but it is where we want to be. I posed this question to our team and our Athe Women team and asked them to kind of think about this. And one of the gals put together just some great thoughts on how we can prepare for this idea of persecution. I'm going to give you some of her thoughts, mix in some of my own and that kind of stuff. But one of the things that she brought up was thinking about Peter and how Peter, when, remember how the story in Mark or in a couple of the gospels, it's there where Jesus tells Peter that he is going to deny him. 
and he's pretty clear. Like he, he says, you're going to deny me even in one of the gospels says before the cock crows three times. I mean, he's even descriptive about the, the when and all of that. And Peter just adamantly refuses that, right? He says, I would never offend you. I would never deny you, Lord. And this is an interesting thing to put yourself in Peter's shoes. Because we all want to say that, man, if that moment comes where somebody says, are you going to deny Jesus? What are you going to say? And we're like, of course not. We're not going to do that. But I wonder sometimes, have we really rehearsed that in our brain? Have we purposed in our heart what that answer is going to be and really looked at it? Like, is that really true of us? Would we deny him? And I think the deny him, it's not so much the black, it is the black and white question of do you believe in Jesus Christ? We've seen that in other stories like school shootings and things like that where kids were just asked point blank, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? And if they said yes, they were killed. So there is those dramatic stories, but there's other ways of denying Christ, his word, his design, all of those things. I mean, we're kind of inundated with different ways that we can really deny what we know to be true in scripture, what we know to be what God would purpose and have his be his will. We find ways today, we're kind of presented with them all the time, whether it's a pronoun issue or anything. There's just a lot today. Defining what sin is. Is this thing a sin? Is it not? And if you want to say it's not, well, you're actually going against scripture in some cases. We've got to be people of the word. I was thinking about this. Kids are, are the greatest with this because there is this childlike faith with kids that I just love so much. And I remember when one of my boys, when they were pretty little, I want to say they were like, I don't know, maybe like five-ish or so. And at the time, there was this situation in the Middle East where it was kind of one of these really dramatic martyr stories. And it was we were listening to it on the radio, and it was a Christian radio station. And me and my little kiddo were sitting in the car and listening to the story as the guy who's the DJ or whatever, he was telling the story about someone in the Middle East. And if they call you on the carpet right there and say, will you deny Christ? What would you say? Would you do it? Would you let them kill you? Or would you, what would you say? And what was interesting is the, this guy, this Christian, this Christian DJ, he actually said, uh, which it still shocks me that he says this, but said this, but he actually said, I would just say what the guy wants me to say, because then I can go on and live my life and it won't be true, but then I can tell other people about Jesus There's so much more I could do for the kingdom if I stayed alive than if in that moment. I just just say a little white lie is basically what he was saying. Like, I'll just go ahead and go along with it and say, oh, no, 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 I, I don't believe in God, even in, though in my heart, I do. But basically what he's saying there is I would deny Christ. And it was interesting to me because if you think about what we're saying here, if, if you're going to practice that conversation in your brain and you're going to prep for that moment, he had prepped in a wrong way, really. The thing that struck me in this moment, sitting here with my little five-year-old at the time, was that he was listening to the story, and and he just kind of piped up, and he said, I would just say, Jesus is Lord, and just go to heaven. Like, so matter-of-factly, just so, like, innocently, like, why why would you not? And I thought, man, it's so amazing to me that sometimes kids have that perspective. Maybe it's just because they haven't lived as long as we have to get so attached to this world. I don't know what it is. But there's just this more, this sweet childlike faith of like, oh, I'd rather be with Jesus. 
it was convicting to me in that moment as I purpose in my heart or I think about that moment, what would I do? What would you do? Are we so attached to this world that we would try to make excuses, try to figure out how we would say something to avoid the suffering, to avoid the persecution? Or would we just boldly proclaim Jesus is Lord or defend his scriptures as truth, even when the world and even sadly some churches won't defend scripture as true anymore? Those are things you've you got to prep for. You need to think about that. So I think one of the things as we think about prepping for persecution is know it's coming, okay? It's, it's coming in some facet or another. You know, John 16, 33, Jesus promises us. These are Jesus's words. And he says in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so I don't want my voice to trail off and you to lose any impact in any of those phrases there, because the first one is there, you will have trouble. You're just gonna, okay? So don't try to avoid it all the time. It's just gonna happen. But then the last part is really is so awesome. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying this. I have overcome the world. He wins. Jesus wins. He has overcome the world. So know it's coming. Know that we are not going to be able to walk through life expecting perfection and bliss and the sweet little leave it to be of life. Did that just make me sound really old? Does anybody even still know what Leave It to Beaver is? Well, anyway, it's 1950s. I watched them as reruns, okay? I'm not not that old. But I'm just saying, like, the idyllic life of really not having any trouble. And if you do, it's kind of wrapped up before the 30-minute episode ends. It's just a sweet little, we have maybe some little friction, but it's okay. It doesn't last long and it's fine. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He says we're going to have trouble. But take heart, he has overcome the world. And so I'm wondering sometimes if maybe instead of expecting this life to be so good and expecting that it's just going to be easy all the time, and I know we don't really say that we expect that, but I kind of think we sometimes do because we seem to be really thrown off our rocker as soon as hard times come. Don't be surprised by that. You know, even I wonder if we should even just be expecting the opposite. In Matthew 5.44, when it says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We hear that as a directive, which is good. Pray for your enemies, love your enemies, pray for them, all the people that persecute you. But you can kind of lose that you do. It does imply that you will have enemies. You will have people that persecute you. So I think it's an important perspective to kind of shift and, and just know that you're going to have enemies even. And I mean, that's a really strong word, right? Like we don't like that. We, we, we're we not even comfortable if people don't like us very much, much less say that they're just an outright enemy. But this scripture is telling us that, man, love your enemies, which means you're going to have enemies. Just kind of know it's coming. So know that persecution's coming, okay? And then Jesus also told us why we would face persecution. In John 15, 18 through 20, Jesus tells us that the world is going to hate us because of him. And so this is what it says. Verse 18, it says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of this world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Okay, so in other words, if we're being persecuted, you're in good company because Jesus is saying they persecuted me. But he's also saying, even using, again, strong language, we talked about enemies a second ago, but also hate. 
man, if the world hates you, my kids weren't even allowed to say that when they were little, right? We don't, we don't hate. Well, we do hate sin, right? <laughs> and it will, does say that the world will hate you. And it says that's okay because it hated me first. It hated, and this is Jesus speaking here. So Jesus tells us, we know that persecution's coming. He tells us why we're going to face persecution. But then I also think Paul gives us some really great words on how we need to keep the persecution in perspective and how we need to maybe shift that even. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So light momentary affliction. It's a phrase that just, it sounds so transient, right? He even uses that word later. It says the things that are seen are transient. You know, they come and they go. It's here. Don't worry about it. We'll be gone tomorrow. I mean, he's so lighthearted about this, isn't he? I mean, and the thing is, is that you can lose, if you if you don't look at the passage within context, what Paul was actually going through. You know, I mean, Paul had faced floggings where he was nearly killed. He had been stoned. Eventually, he is thrown in prison. All kinds of things that, that Paul is talking about that we would probably not view any of those as light momentary afflictions. We might view a light momentary affliction as the coffee order not getting right, but I'm not sure that we would view being in prison, and we're talking ancient prisons, no ping pong tables here, but he kind of knew what suffering was. We don't have any clue what this kind of suffering is. And yet Paul calls that a light momentary affliction. So I, I add that scripture for our encouragement to keep in perspective your worst, terrible, no good day. These are light momentary afflictions preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Sometimes I just need that reminder so many times, guys. I just need to hear and remind myself that all of this, the worst news that we see, the worst doctor's visit, <laughs> you go to the worst news from the doctor, the death of a family, or all of it, you know what? It's all the stuff because this world is death and dying, you know? Since the fall, it's been corrupted. This is when we look around, this it is what it is. And it's not while the Lord wonderfully gives us amazing blessings within this life, it's pales in comparison to what we get to spend eternity in. I mean, this is nothing. And that's why Paul can say these light momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight and glory eternally. Oh, goodness, not transient, not a bad week, not a rough season, but forever in the glory of the Lord. And that that's what we get to look forward to. That's just an important reminder for me when I'm going through what I deem as affliction, that this is all a light momentary affliction, but we get to have that eternal perspective. There is something so much greater ahead of us. So with all of this stuff, with the talk of persecution, we know it's coming. Jesus tells us why we need to keep it in perspective in light of eternity. So, so huge. But what do we do right now? Like if we're going to talk about being preppers here for persecution, what kind of prepping am I talking about that's in a good sense? I think one of the things in our prepping zone is that we do need to kind of dig our heels in a little bit. We need to not be swayed by what the world is trying to do. Man, there is an agenda in everything right now, it feels like. And 
And we need to be really firmly planted in the word. You know, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, when it talks about do not conform to the pattern of this world, that is not a suggestion, that is a command. Do not conform. So gals, you need to dig your heels in on what God's word says, and you need to not budge. And even when it says do not conform to the pattern of this world, the the pattern, even the mode that it's going in, recognize it, discern it, think critically about it and go, wow, that's a pattern that the world is going in and I will not go there. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. And part of that is going to require that we do not go the path of least resistance. You know, that's one of those things that you can just kind of get worn down by the world. You can get worn down by, you know, oh, don't make such a big deal about this. Or you're just affirming this little thing. It's, you know, come on, don't do it. That's the path of least resistance. That's conforming to the pattern of this world. This, gals, we need to be willing to stick with what God's word says, even if it is the hardest thing to do. And it won't be hard. That's the cool thing is that it would be hard if we were doing it within our own strength. But the Lord is our strength. His spirit is the one that enables you to be able to do exactly what the Lord is calling you to do, to keep you in the shadow of his wings, right? You know, to keep us in that place where we're walking in step with the spirit. When you're walking in step with the spirit, oh man, good stuff happens there and not the path of least resistance. It doesn't mean that walking in the path of the spirit is going to always be no resistance. It could be hard. There could be some hard stuff. But I I actually think that even in the hard, there is this beautiful enabling that the spirit provides for us sticking with his word. So practically, though, with all of that, and I think this kind of goes back up to what we said with Daniel, is to kind of rehearse what you're going to say. Be ready. And moms, if I can say for your kiddos that are in school, and I want to say public school or a Christian school, please don't think that if you're in a Christian school, that you can check your brain at the door and go, cool, they got it. We're all on the same page. No, you might not be. You are the parent. You are the one that is charged with raising them in the admonition of the Lord. Okay, so that's your responsibility, not the schools. We love great Christian schools that that partner with us in doing that, that encourage those things. That's wonderful. But don't forget, it's primarily your our responsibility as parents. Have these conversations with your kids. Think about things that they are going to face in their classroom or from a from another student or maybe even from a teacher. You know, maybe if it's again, I'll say public school or private school, wherever your kiddos are at. But ask them questions that maybe they haven't thought of. What what are you going to say if a teacher says fill in the blank? You know, in a public school, that could honestly be, now, are you a boy or are you a girl? I mean, that sounds crazy town to us, but that actually happens. That actually happens. I've seen videos of this and it's unbelievable to me that teachers will ask little children, are you a boy? Or are you a girl? When that should be pretty clear. That sounds silly, but we need to actually prepare our kiddos for that. That's part of the prepping that I think that we need to do. Maybe practice some of those things. Maybe practice in your own mind. What are you going to say if somebody, you know, messages you online from your high school, you know, reunion group or something with some question about pronouns or some question about if you affirm LGBTQ, all the letters and all of those kinds of things. What's your stance on that? Have you rehearsed how you would present that lovingly, biblically, but truthfully? 
Think through those things. Gals, I really encourage you, if you're married, talk to your husband about this. Bounce off each other questions like, how should I answer this? What do you think about this? You know, it, it, it will help both of you guys to really think about these things. But that's an important person to go to, to kind of both of you prep for the days that are coming here or the days that you're already in. But I think that's something that just is a practice. And it's a great way to fill up car time with your kids, or even if you're just driving somewhere by yourself, man, what would I say if fill in the blank? And if you don't know, if like a ready answer doesn't come, the first thing I'm going to tell you is you need to pray about that. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what that answer should look like. So just a couple things on that. But ultimately, how we best prep and become biblical preppers the way that we really should be is to be in the word. You know, find confidence in the word and in who God is. And that means really familiarizing yourself with the word. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 10, with my whole heart, I will seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How does the young man keep his way pure? Young woman keep her way pure, guarding it by the word of God, knowing it, storing it up in your in your heart, being familiar with it. Like it, it's it's something that's that comes easy. It's so funny because scripture memory for me actually is super hard. I don't know why. And I actually think the older I get, just the dumber I get. And and so I struggle with this. But I'm always amazed if you read like uh, Jewish kiddos around the age 10 would have memorized the first five books of the Bible just about. And that also means Leviticus. Okay. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Are you even kidding me? I mean, those are the five books that whenever anybody is starting their through the Bible reading plan, and if they decide to start at the beginning and not doing a chronological plan or whatever, they usually get lost about Leviticus. And that's just reading it, much less memorizing it. We're talking about little kids that it was just, this was just the Jewish culture that they would actually memorize the first five books of the Bible. Okay. Mind blowing. So I kind of keep that in perspective for myself when I'm struggling to memorize what should be a very simple verse. We can do hard things. We probably could stretch ourselves a little bit there. But the thing I think for me and for you gals, shift scripture memory to more of this like prepper mindset, not the legalistic like, oh, I need to memorize this or else I'm not a good Christian. That's ridiculous. That's nowhere in the Bible. The word is there because of what Psalm 119 is saying. It's how we keep our way pure. It's how we keep ourselves from conforming to the pattern of the world. Because first, you got to know how it differs, how the pattern of the world is differing from the pattern that the word gives, that the Lord gives. If you're not in the word, you, you don't know that. You just kind of see the stuff the world's got thrown at you and you're like, okay, it's fine. It's probably good. But if you're actually reading the word, you're going to go, oh, actually, that is totally opposite from what God's word says. But you got to be in the word and familiarize yourself with scripture and knowing who God is in order to be able to do that. And that's where I think memorizing scripture, actually trying to put it into your heart and mind, shift that from a little bit more of a lifeline, a prepper mindset, and not a legalistic have to. Where this comes in handy is you might decide to memorize a section of John or maybe a Psalm or something. Maybe you're doing that in a season that's going great. Everything's awesome. But what I think is amazing is that 
the way the Lord works often is that when you find yourself in that season that is really rough, you will be shocked that the things that come to your mind, even out of nowhere, that you're like, man, why did I think of that? Is a scripture that you memorized back in the good days. It was something that the Lord brought to your mind that you took the time and the effort to meditate on, memorize scripture, and and you didn't really know why. You're like, oh yeah, this is a really great passage. But often the Lord pulls those things to remembrance when, or it's actually the Holy Spirit that does that, pulls those things into remembrance when we really need them on those really bad days. Maybe even in that moment when you're facing that persecution, that scripture comes to mind. I think we can prep for persecution by being people of the word, that we can be gals that just want to know the word, memorize the word, teach it to our kids, speak it to others, encourage other sisters in Christ in the word. And in doing so, we're prepping ourselves and we're prepping them for the days that are coming. I love reading in the Old Testament. You know, I just told you that the Jewish culture that even at a young age, they would memorize the five books of the Bible. Ezra was one of those, like you can read in the Bible, it talks about that he had much of that the current scripture memorized of what would have been available at the time. It says in Ezra 7.10, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Now that's cool. You can read it and go, oh, what a nice little resume for Ezra. He, he knew scripture. You read the rest of Ezra and you read some of the things that happened during that time where he is coming, you know, he was in exile and, and then he gets to go back and rebuild. And But he's pulling upon his knowledge of scripture when he does that. And he ends up, you know, leading the people back to repentance when they fall away. How? Why? Because he was in the word first. He had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. He knew the scriptures. You know, I mentioned Daniel earlier, but in Daniel 9, it talks about that Daniel says in reading the scriptures, which he was probably reading Jeremiah, he learns that there is going to be this 70 years of captivity. He learns that because he was reading scripture. And then the Lord goes on and gives him one of the most powerful prophecies in all the Bible. But how was he prepared for that really potent, really amazing prophecy? Well, because he was already in scripture and he was learning of what was going on because he was in the Bible. One of the things that I love about studying the Bible as a whole is because as you do that and you go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, like we do at AFI. You study a lot of prophecy because there's a lot of prophecy in the Bible. And studying prophecy, it helps us to keep that eternal perspective, really. It helps us to keep that perspective of watching for Jesus, you know, knowing that he could return for his church at any moment. And what a great way to give you just that element of expectancy, watching for Jesus when everything feels like it's falling apart. But if you're keeping your eyes on the Lord, it's it's a very eternal shift, an internal perspective. Another passage that I really love as we talk about how we prep is in Luke 8, when it talks about the parable of the sower. I want to read part of this to you, and then Jesus actually explains what he's meaning here. But he's, he talks about the seed that needs to get some roots here. So let me just read it so I don't mess it up here. Luke 8, 4 starts, and it says, And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, He said, Jesus, in a parable, he says, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. 
And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then Jesus goes on to explain, the the disciples ask, well, what did you mean by all of that? And he explains the parable. But he's talking about here, the seed there is the word. And he gives the different examples. He talks about seed that is, is by the path or seed that gets plucked up by the birds. But there's all these different ways that we can see the word and realize that it's not till you get to that seed that fell into good soil that it was established. Seed that's in good soil, it gets roots. You need to put some attention to it. And I, I love this, this little parable that Jesus gives here, because when we think about the word, yeah, it means some good soil. And if you think of that as being your heart, is it prepared and prepped for the word? Like, do you approach the word with a humility of that you are desiring to not see the Bible's not a book about you, it's a book about God, and you're there to read it and study it to know him and to know his will, not our will. So that's kind of part of prepping the soil a little bit. But then, you know, we take the word in and it gives this analogy with the seed that you kind of got to water it. If it's seed that ends up on the path that just gets walked on and, and doesn't really get any water. It just kind of dries up and gets scattered, right? And so when I think about all of this with the word, it needs roots. And to get roots, it needs to be watered. It might even need some fertilizer now and then. But in other words, it needs attention. Being a gal who gives attention to the word is something that takes effort. And again, please don't hear this as like, oh, here's another person telling me I better read my Bible. Well, I kind of am telling you to read your Bible. But not because it's a have to, but because we need to look at the book that we get to hold that is God's very words to us as a lifeline, as how we are going to prep for the day that we live in, in a legit way, not in gathering a whole bunch of stuff around us, but prepping biblically for the days that are coming or the maybe we're already in. But it's not just a pill you take. It's not just like, you can't just check the box. You can't just take the pill, swallow it and say, cool, I got it. I've got the word. No, it's going gonna, it's gonna to need all of those elements that we see within the parable of the sower. It's going to need some good dirt. It's going to need water. It's going to need some attention, you know? So I like that analogy that Jesus gives to kind of help us to think through how we need to maybe approach the word in more of a, of a mindset of it's not a got to, it's a huge get to, and it, you really need it. And if you don't spend the time there, it's just, it's not going to have the roots. You need to put some effort into it. So with all of this, just a couple more things as we wrap up, you know, we've looked at just the different things of how we can prep for persecution in a biblical way. But a couple of the things that I would add to this is to be with like-minded believers, to surround yourself with people that also love the Lord. And, and this is not to say that you should live in a hole and only talk to Christians, okay? It's not saying that. And we see this in scripture when it talks about walking side by side with someone that is equally yoked, a whole separate conversation, but just meaning that you're walking with someone that is in like-minded and that's who you're getting counsel with. So get counsel, encouragement, sharpening from other Bible-believing Christians. Don't live in a silo sitting around getting your counsel and encouragement from your phone. Maybe I say that and you're like, oh, I don't do that. Uh, I think sometimes we do that, gals. 
you missed church this week, or maybe you didn't go to Bible study and you're like, oh, but you know, I, I read these verses on my phone and I read these quotes and I'm not saying all of that's bad. I would way rather our social media is filled up with scripture and good encouragement from solid people. That's great. But that is not surrounding yourself in like actual fellowship with like-minded believers. Don't live in a silo, get plugged into church and be present be present to a place that if you're not there, people actually know when you're gone. People always talk about Atheon because we're really big now. They can be like, well, how do you get to know people and all of that kind of stuff? And the thing is, is even if you chose to not volunteer or not get plugged in some way, which I wouldn't recommend that, I would say get plugged in, volunteer or go to Bible study, find a group of people that you can do that with. But it's kind of funny to me at church, like most people kind of sit in their same little areas. Now, don't be weird about this. Sometimes people get like, oh, that's my chair and no one else can sit in my chair or my row. Yeah, that's really gross. But I'm just mean like your general, the general geographic area of the sanctuary. And what's kind of cool is you do get to know people that kind of sit in your area a little bit and you should get to know. And if you don't, well, introduce yourself. And I'm, I'm an introvert and I know that's super hard and weird, but do it, do it anyway. Because then what kind of does happen is if that person's not there for a while, you do kind of wonder like, wait, what happened? So even, I mean, that's just a silly, tiny example. I would encourage you to get involved in just really meaningful ways because as we prep for persecution, we need to be in the word. We need to be surrounded by other believers who can pray with us, who can encourage us, give us solid counsel, can sharpen us, kind of like go, ooh, you know what? I think you're kind of going in the wrong direction. That's that's a good thing to put yourself in good company with people who will do that in your life. It's so important. And then the last thing I would say as we just prep for persecution is to pray. Be women who pray. And I don't mean just like when you put your kiddos to bed, pray real quick, call it good. Really be women who pray. We're about to, or actually when this podcast is aired, we're probably in it right now, but we have a prayer study that we're doing at Athey Women. And I felt so strongly to go in this direction because you can't ever have enough prayer. And sometimes it's kind of the thing that everybody's like, I don't really know how to do that. Is there a how-to? Is there you know, something I should be doing differently? And honestly, most of the time, that's just the enemy keeping you from praying because prayer is powerful. Scripture tells us that it is. And so we need to be women who really pray. Pray for the days that we're living in right now. Pray for the days we're getting to. It's not going to get better until we get to eternity. It's just going to get a little bit uglier. And don't let that discourage you. Let that encourage you to dig into the word even more. You know, maybe if you heard nothing out of this, maybe you're like, man, I want to memorize five verses this month and meditate on those verses. Plant those in my brain. Let the Lord work in your heart and your mind. And maybe you won't know why those verses were you chose to do those right now. But there might be a day where the Holy Spirit will bring those things to remembrance for you, and you're going to need them in that day. So it's coming, gals. If it's not here already, we know that persecution is going to be something that we deal with in some way. And I want us to be gals that that doesn't surprise us, but I pray that we will have deep roots in the Word that will spend the time to water it and give it all the attention it needs so that we will be prepped for persecution. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. 
We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at athecreek.com.